Well, another warm welcome to you. My name is Michael. I'm one of the clergy here uh, at HDC. And, um, and over Lent, we have been looking at different stories of Jesus' life in the book of Luke. So if you would like to, at the end of each of your pews are a bunch of Bibles. If you'd like to pass those along, um, because I'm just going to do a whistle-stop tour throughout the whole of Luke really quickly so we know where we are. So pass those Bibles along, because Luke is broken up into four parts four kind of sections of narrative. The first is chapters one and two, which is the birth of Jesus. The second begins from chapter three, and that's the geographical area of Judah and Galilee. And it looks at Jesus' ministry, his healing ministry, and his teaching ministry. And then there's this key verse, Luke chapter nine. If you want to turn with Luke chapter nine, it's found on page 1040. And this insignificant verse, 1040, is a massive gear shift. Chapter 9, verse 51. And this begins the third section, 1,040. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So everything in this third part of Luke's gospel is Jesus going to Jerusalem. All roads now lead to Jerusalem. All roads lead to Jesus' death. That's where he's going. And that's where our passage kind of comes in. So if you just flick on a couple of pages uh, to 1047, we're going to read our passage today, which is chapter 13, verse 31. For those of you keeping track, I said there were four parts. And the fourth part is going to start in a couple of sections time as Jesus enters Jerusalem. And it looks at that week leading up to his death and resurrection. But here we are, Luke chapter 13. And as we read this, remember, Jesus is going to Jerusalem now. He's going to his death. So here we go. Chapter 13, verse 31. At that time... Some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go and tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Now, the key to this really small passage is in verse 34. Have a, have a quick look with me. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. Now, this sounds pretty harsh. It's pretty harsh if you compare it to what was said about Jesus when he first arrived in Jerusalem. As he was brought to the temple as a baby, this is what someone said about him. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. That's positive. 
And in a couple of chapters' time, we're going to see a group of Jesus' followers kind of singing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And when you compare both these things to what Jerusalem is about to do, they're not willing to accept him. They're going to reject him. It seems pretty harsh. And so you've had these pockets of people who have welcomed him, pockets of people who have followed Jesus. They've listened to his teaching. They've seen his miracles. But now Jesus is about to enter the very city that has rejected people time and time and time again when they've brought a message of God's kingdom. And now finally, God himself in Jesus Christ, he's going to be rejected. The problem is with preaching a passage like this, there's no cliffhanger. Right? Imagine, this is going to be in the movie where Jesus is about to resolutely set off for Jerusalem. He's about to arrive at this big festival, this big celebration of Passover. And the question is, and it fades to black, will they reject or will they accept him? Actually, he just tells us. And you were not willing. You are going to reject me. So a couple of questions come up at this point. Why bother going to Jerusalem if you know you're going to be rejected? We're going to get to that. But the more pressing question is this. Why? Why will Jerusalem reject Jesus? He's a good bloke. Good moral teacher. All round good lad. Why are they going to reject him? Because this is key. And I think it comes down to this. Either Jesus has an ego problem or Jerusalem has an ego problem. The claim Jesus has been making, and he's going to just keep making it again and again and again, is he is bringing the kingdom of God. The two stories either side of this small little passage is all about the kingdom of God. And Jago looked at last week, he looked at what the kingdom of God is. He talked about how it's initially it was insignificant. A baby born in a stable. This is a man killed amongst kind of the murderers. Nothing significant. And we often see that in our lives, don't we? You and I are the Christian... Oof. <laughs> Scared me too. <laughs> It was all getting a bit heavy anyway, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> I might not just carry on. Right, so you've got, initially it's insignificant, isn't it? You've got this kind of like, it all begins very small, isn't it? Our Christian faith can begin very small. A friend invites us to church, you do an alpha course, you say a little prayer after a service, Jesus, be my king. Just to let you know, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to ask anyone that wants to, to make that prayer for themselves in their hearts. I'm going to ask anyone that wants to become a Christian to say that prayer. But it all starts very small. But then we looked at, there's, there's this giant growth. All through the world, the church is growing. It might be withering in some places, but it's growing. But we see that in our lives. What starts very small, eventually our whole lives are transformed. And then there's a hope, a hope for the final future, that Jesus will come in all of his glory and power and he'll usher in eternity where there is no more evil and the full kingdom of God can be seen. And the overarching theme of all of these things is the same. Jesus Christ is king. That's, what, that's the claim he's making and he means it. Highlighting this story might seem really odd to some of us. 
It might be odd because we know how this is all going to end. Why, you know, why is he, we know he's going to be rejected. We know how the story ends. Or it seems odd because this just seems like an old story with an old controversial city that rejects Jesus and it's got nothing to do with me. So why does it matter? Jerusalem, Jesus is saying, they've rejected the messengers time and again. They've rejected the kingdom of God. And so when the kingdom of God is going to arrive, they're going to reject that too. And this is the the kind of heart of the problem. Jerusalem is going to reject the premise of who Jesus is. Because in the passage, it talks about all these prophets. And all these prophets have been saying, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And then Jesus comes along and he goes, it's not coming, it's here. I am he. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the kingdom of God. I am am here. And so what, what, what happens when they reject him? Have a look with me at verse 35. Look, your house, this means your people, your city is left to you desolate. As you've rejected me, as you've rejected who I am, if you've rejected the kingdom of God you will be left with nothing. You'll be desolate. Now we know Jerusalem was burnt to the ground in AD 70, about 40 years after this was said. And in a couple of chapters' time, Jesus is going to talk specifically about that future event. But here he's talking about a broader desolation. He's not just talking about about physically the city's going to be burnt to the ground. He's basically making the claim, without me... Nothing will last. It's a massive claim. Without me, nothing will last. He says it about the temple, which he's going to make obsolete. He's going to take it about the people of God because Jesus is for all people. He's saying it about the Romans who are powerful. He's going to say it about the Greeks who are wise. He's going to say it about money. He's going to say it about freedom. He's going to say it about sex. He's saying that to each and every one of us. If you reject me, what do you have that really lasts? What do you have that really lasts? Because this passage can't be about just the Jewish people. This can't be about those who literally rejected Jesus' kingship 2,000 years ago. Because look at what he says. Have a look with me at verse 35. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, the problem is people are going to sing that in three chapters time when he enters Jerusalem. I was trying to teach my son hide and seek. You stay there, you hide, I'm going to count to ten, and then I'm going to find you. I count to ten, ready or not, here I come. And then he runs out from behind the tree and goes, here I am. And I was like, that's not the point. It's a little bit like with this. You're not going to see me till someone sings, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a couple of weeks later, they're going to be like, there I am. It doesn't make any sense if he's just talk- he's talking about the final day, that future hope where all of humanity will sing that song because they will see who Jesus really is and he comes in the name of the Lord. So it's not literally just 
Jerusalem he's talking about. Jesus' claim of Jerusalem, he's claiming of all humanity. Every country, every culture, every single person who ever lived. And when he returns, everyone will give an account. Was Jesus king or not? I think that's one of the most underappreciated things about Christianity. You really do get to choose how you want to spend eternity. Eternity without Christ or eternity with Christ as king. So then the question that we have to ask ourselves, well, what has Jesus done to make himself worthy of being our king? I want you to picture with me Jesus saying these words. Because no one forces anyone else to accept Jesus as king. We're all building our own kingdoms, right? Let's all be honest about that. We're all building our own kingdoms. And you'll hear people, and I imagine some of you are sitting there going, I just wish you would just chill out about Jesus and talk about something else. Because isn't it right? You know, we say that to each other, don't we? Work hard and you'll get that promotion, champ. And your kingdom will, will expand. Find the right person, get married, and then you'll be happy. It's just, it's just the kingdom, isn't it? The kingdom of the family. Stretch yourself to get that mortgage. You're just stretching your kingdom, aren't you? Just building the kingdom. Get to the gym, pump iron, and you'll be happy. It's just about the kingdom of our image. Isn't it? We're all building kingdoms, aren't we? We even do it with churches. Find a church with good children's work. And then you'll be happy. Find a church with a band. Then you're in a real place. You know I mean, we all go, yeah, yeah, this is really nice. Isn't it? We're all building our kingdoms. We all have these things. And the kingdom that we're building won't last forever. All of these things, this church building won't last forever. One day it will be desolate. That's, that's what happens. History happens. The kingdom you are building won't last forever. And we often say it about ourselves. I'm king. My choice is king. Politics is king. Sex is king. Money is king. Entertainment is king. Family is king. Or it might just be more abstract. Happiness is king. Comfort is king. And what happens is, 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 is we think if we follow Jesus, you know, we just think, oh, he's a really nice guy and he's kind of my king. Or we're just brought up with this kind of religion stuff and it just gives us this warm feeling inside. And that's our king, kind of just these kind of random morals kind of in place, building block. But have you ever compared what you put as king, the most important thing in your life, and compared it to what Jesus did to make the claim he deserves to be right at the top? Because that's the question that we're looking at. Of all the things that we place above Jesus, why did Jesus, knowing he's going to be rejected, go to Jerusalem? Because on the one hand, this sounds just like a drunk friend at a party, doesn't it? He's like outside, I want to get in. We don't want you in. Because that's what he's saying, that, isn't he? I know I'm going to be rejected. I know I'm going to be rejected. I'm just trying to knock on them. Let me in. What is going on here? Have a look with me at verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together 
as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Here he is. He's, he's saying, I've come to gather a people for myself in love. That's literally what he wanted to do. I wanted to gather. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Here's a video of a hen gathering her chicks. I'm gonna, we're going to put it on. You'll see them kind of all, the, the mother tries to find um, some land and then, and then all the little chicks kind of, you'll see them all messing around in a minute. I hadn't quite thought this through because no one's going to listen to what I'm about to say. So I'll just carry on. In about two minutes, it will pause and then you can come back. Right, but so Jesus gives this picture of himself. All the way through the Bible, God gives the picture of perfect parenthood. The whole story of the Bible is God extending his hand in love to give total protection, total comfort, total stability, total hope of eternal life. Jesus says, this is why I came to gather you. And Jerusalem rejected Jesus because they didn't want who he was. And so many people today, they reject Jesus because they don't know who he is. That's the truth. Most people just don't know who Jesus is. As a parent feeds a child for their physical needs, Christ then comes along and says, I'm the bread of life that's going to fill all of your needs. As a parent gives water to quench their child's thirst, Christ says, I am the living water which quenches all of our thirsts. As a parent cares for a child's life, Christ says, I care for you in life and death. And in spite of all of this, Jerusalem did what? Rejected him. They chose to reject rather than be gathered. And what did they embrace? Desolation. Whether it's religion that suffocates, because we're not talking about religion here, we're talking about a relationship with King Jesus. You might make religion your highest hope, your king, and it suffocates. Maybe you make life, but that will ultimately end. Maybe it's power that will fade. Maybe it's desires that will perish, politics that crumble, or dreams that shatter. All of these things, religion, life, Power, desires, politics, dreams. People, people just think Jesus just doesn't care. He doesn't understand. He doesn't want me to have these things. And what that does is it misses the whole point of Christianity. Jesus comes along and says, have me. Have me. Jesus says, I want you and I will do anything to have you. Even going to die. I will do anything. And we see this, don't we? Because no one has made the statement that Jesus makes in this passage for us. No one. Have a look with me at verse 31, right? At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, this is probably true. Herod had killed Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. He beheaded him. And what does he say? He replied, Go tell that fox. He insults Herod. 
And he's not saying here, you know, we, we think of foxes in cunning and crafty. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that there's this Jewish saying, better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. It's better to be nothing that's attached to something than the head of something which is unimportant. Fox is unimportant, impotent. It's irrelevant. It can't do anything compared to a lion. Jesus is not insulting Herod because he doesn't think he's going to die. He's insulting Herod because Herod has no power other than what God has given him. This is the key. Jesus knows he's going to die. What does he say? I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. I'm pressing on to death. That's my trajectory Don't talk to me about Herod claiming he's going to kill me. I've resolutely set out to Jerusalem. I'm resolutely going to my death. My mission is to die for my people so that I may gather them. Gather them into my kingdom. And it's a kingdom not not of swords, not of lies, not of oppression. It's a kingdom of love. And so he says, while many people are going to reject me, in fact, my own people are going to reject me. They're going to mock me and scorn me and crucify me. I'm still going to die for them because I want to, I want to gather them into my kingdom. And for 2,000 years ever since, people have scorned and laughed and mocked Jesus. And he still says, I'm going to die. Even today in South London, even right now, probably in this building, people are mocking, ridiculing Jesus in their minds. And he still says, I love you and I died for you. And he wants to gather us as a hen gathers her children. Jesus gives us this picture of the mother hen gathering her children, literally gathering, literally enclosing us. Now, I think it's very easy to say and to know, actually, I'm not, I'm not in that. I'm not enclosed by Jesus. I'm not enclosed by Christ. And we can make the decision, yeah, I want to. But for others of us, I think it's much harder to admit, to admit that we're not really gathered. We're not really in Christ. We surround ourselves by the things we know we're meant to do, all this religious stuff. We just do the bits that we're meant to do, and we come to a church like here. You know, we, you know, Jago and Michael, they're, you know, they're so nice, you know, in the leadership. We're just wretched sinners trying to hold on. Hold on to God's grace. Oh, yeah, we've got a nice band. and Eventually, they're going to play songs you don't like. If it hasn't happened already. And then you'll be let down with that. And all the while, when push comes to serve, when the really hard stuff happens, or when we, when we get to eternity, we know we're never really in Christ. There's no substance to our faith. It's just kind of like floundering around, you know, skipping around. I go to a church because all my friends go. And all the while, it's not the hen, but some carcass 
playing around in its bones. And the wind and the storms just toss us around. And so for many people, the kingdom, our kingdom continues to grow and expand, but in reality, it will all become desolate. And I think that's why we're doing this series in Lent, because Lent is basically us reminding ourselves that Jesus screams out time and time and time again, I carried your cross, I gave my life, I desired to gather you. Can you not see that? Maybe you don't. And if you don't, I really hope that, that you'll consider. Consider the claims of Jesus. Is there any truth to anything that we've been talking about? Maybe you haven't. But this is the first time you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that we needed him to be our king, that we needed to be gathered by him. And in a minute, I'm going to say a prayer. And I'd love for you to consider being like, yeah, I want to make Jesus the king of my life. Not, not everything else. I just want to make him the king of my life. Make that decision today. Don't wait. But for the others of us, we know we're Christians, but that first love, that passion that we used to have, we, we know that it has been diminished and we, aren't, we don't feel like we're enclosed. We don't feel like we're safe in Christ. We're just going from week to week to week. I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to pray. That's right. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to gather us as a people. You long to know us. You long to be intimate. You long to shield us and to protect us. And I pray for each and every one of us whether we reject you whether we want to accept you for the very first time today or whether that closeness that intimacy over the years has been ebbed away I pray that you would be with each and every one of us. Amen. Can I invite everyone to keep their eyes closed? Um, for some of you, you're like, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that Jesus is, is, is about wanting me to be gathered, to be in him, to know him. I've never heard the idea that he wants to be king of my life. And if that's you, if you're like, yeah, for me, I want to make the decision to put Jesus first. If that's you, can I invite you to, I'm not going to make you do anything weird. It's just a way of you saying to God and to me that, yeah, this is, this is something I want to do. If that's you, could you just put your hand up? If that's you, you want to make the decision to follow Jesus for the first time, to put him as king. You just put your hand up. Can I invite you to stand? We're going to respond with song worship.
And what I'd love for any of us to do, if that's you and you want to make the decision to follow Jesus, to come on down the front, there's going to be a number of people here to pray. But if there's some of you that know, I'm just tired, I don't know if I feel enclosed, I don't know if I know Christ like I want to, then we'd love to pray for you. Um, Come on down either side uh, and the rest of us are going to sing.